All right, guys. Here's another episode with the infamous Dennis Cole. Come on. I'm always going to introduce you uh, in some derogatory way in the beginning, bro. You know, good, just, to, just to keep it real. Yeah. Just so that all the haters would know that there's a hater on this side. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but how are you doing, Dennis? How's your good, day so good. far, brother? Good, man. I had a good interview with another podcast friend. It seems like, yeah, it's, it seems like a lot of people that I didn't know I'm hearing about, um, friends of mine have started podcasts. So we're in the midst of a podcast revolution here, bro. Almost, yeah, almost everyone I know wow. are podcasting, seriously. Wow. So I didn't know that when the prophetic voices were talking about Reformation that it would be podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> so here we are now. Christians yeah. are podcasting everywhere, and if you're not podcasting, you are not Christian. Totally kidding. <laughs> it's, it's, the new, it's the new podcast Reformation. <laughs> <laughs> but Dennis... Um, we had a meeting recently, and you said something to me that just immediately, you know, struck me to my core. And um, I, I really wanted kind of to, you know, uh, peek into your mind and heart here and ask, what did you mean by this, man? And it's a pretty straightforward uh, statement, but you mentioned that you are not going to send your kids to college. That is not very Asian of you, bro. Yeah. To say something. <laughs> yeah, not <laughs> Asian. <laughs> Yeah. So so okay. All right. Why? So, yeah. Why, well, where where did that come from? Yeah. To clarify, I, I said I'm not planning to send my kids to college, and I'm mm. even planning to discourage them from going to college. My, but my my general take is this: Look, when you graduate from high school, you're an adult. Mm -hmm. So I think you have the freedom to, um, you know, make up your own mind, make your decisions, and and own them. And so I will encourage my kids that hey, it's their decision. If they want to go to college, they can. But in terms of my role as a parent, I've thought about the boundaries I would put up in the in the advice, the encouragement that I would give them in, in terms of what to choose. And yeah, I think at this point, I would encourage them not to go to college, right? Mm. Um, I think there is a window, there's a way to go to college that can be really great. You know, if you get a practical skill, like you major in computer science or biology, if you want to become a doctor or go to medicine or something like that, where you're getting a practical skill um, and you're very careful about how you engage in this and you're aware of all the dangers and the ideologies in the college life, then I think you can do the college thing well. And I think it can be great. But there are now so many downsides to college. From the cost, the cost, the cost of college tuition doubles every 10 years or so. Right, mm -hmm. it's it's the it's rising at three times the rate of inflation, and um, that's because when the government you know had decided it wanted to help everybody get a college degree, whenever the government intrudes in the market, it what it's going to do is it's going to help out people in the short term, and it's going to make everything worse in the long term. That's almost always what the pattern looks like, and um, so in this case, yeah, it helped a lot of people get college degrees, and what that ended up doing is it ended up number one, devaluing the college degree, the bachelor degree on the job market. So now the bachelor's degree is worth about as much as a high school degree was in the past generation. Mm -hmm. The only difference is, you know, you're paying a lot more for it. So you start off in debt and four years later, right? So I think that's basically what's happened. So I don't think the <clears throat> college degree is very valuable anymore. Uh, it, for sure, if you get a history degree or a political science degree, it's not very valuable, all right? shows that you have a mastery of English to employers for the most part. Mm -hmm. If you want to get hired in, like, you know, woke segments of the economy, tech companies, stuff like that, then, yeah, a college degree is helpful, stuff like that. But 
I, I think uh, it's. I don't think it's very valuable anymore. I think actually we're in the middle of a tech bubble or an education mm-hmm. bubble, I should say, right? And um, and again, that's what happens. Like the government wants to help people get to college, so what do they do? They back all of these free, free loans, right? Like, hey, the government's going to help you get a loan. And what that did was it pumped all this money into the education sector. All the colleges are raising tuition prices, competing against one another, expanding their facilities, and that's how we arrive, you know, in this place. And the problem is it's it's a degree that's not worth that much anymore, and half of your degree is now in critical race theory and woke studies, mm, <laughs> right? Almost it. everywhere you go, got you're it. getting a half Marxist education now. And yeah. um, so that's very damaging. And we are paying them tons of money for this. So, yeah, ultimately, I don't think going to college is is, is a good deal. I mean, the, the general rule in economics is when everybody thinks something's a good deal, it's usually not a good deal anymore, right? Okay. When everybody's buying something, that's the time to sell. And um, I, I think that's pretty much where we're at with college. So I wouldn't say that I'm not going to, like, tell my kids they can't go to college. But yeah. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to be like, hey, I recommend you not go to college. And I've even thought about putting boundaries on it. So if it's something like, yeah, if you go to college and you go to a, a state school, right, where the tuition's a lot less because the tax money's paying for it, and you major in a practical skill, a hard science or something like that, then we'll help you financially insofar as we can. Although I don't think we're going to be able to help our kids all that much financially, but, you know, we'll help them. But if not, if they want to, if they want to go to, you know, uh, you know, Harvard on their own dime and study, you know, political science or history like I did, right, then mm. I would say, okay, you can do that, but we're not going to help you. You got to take responsibility for that choice yourself. Got it. Okay, so what I'm hearing from you is you're saying number one, really the cost. It's just not worth it. No, you're you're, you're spending three hundred gajillion dollars for a college education on woke studies, and it's not going to get you anywhere. And a lot of conservative voices are saying this, like Prager U, mm-hmm. uh, who who are the other ones that are saying it? But just there's just a plethora of them saying that it's not. Mike Rowe is another one who's saying you shouldn't have to go to college. For sure. But the the other side to it too is the danger of being indoctrinated. Yeah to these anti-biblical thoughts. Yeah. And that's, okay. it's yeah. so real. Look, yeah, yeah. I, I've been pastoring college students and young adults for yeah. almost 20 years now, right? I mean, if you count my time in college, I was basically pastoring them too. Yeah. I'm telling you, I have 20 years of experience in this. I will tell you, college will indoctrinate your students. They indoctrinate yeah. students. And unless you have... Um, people that are speaking to lives of students and counteracting that the Marxist education that they're getting, they're going to be highly influenced by this and it's going to harm their faith. It's going to harm their faith in a serious way. So I, I don't, I don't understand why we would be like, Oh yeah, of course I'm going to send my kid to college. What, what it is, is it, it's exposing something in the church. I always thought that it's a huge problem that, our Christian young people, they study all of this stuff way more than they study um, the Bible and religious, like, like Christian, good Christian books. They study all this other stuff way more. And I always had a problem with that. I'm always like, dude, people, what are you doing? You're prioritizing all of this other stuff. 
rather yeah. than stuff of about the kingdom. And and that's just de facto. That's just how it is everywhere. Like the vast majority of Christians that I know, that's how they do it. They they spend, you know, 30 hours a week or whatever on their studies. And how much of the scriptures do they study? I don't know, 30 minutes. <laughs> maybe if, you know, maybe less than it's probably less than that, you know. Yeah. So yeah. It's it we have to think about this in terms of a church. We've got to realize the system right now that we're putting our children through, it will kill their faith. And yeah. I'm not saying that like this is theoretical. Yeah. I'm saying this like, hey, wake up and look around. Look at what is happening. It's not this I'm not, you know, theorizing that this could happen. I'm saying this is what is happening everywhere right now. And as a church, it's our fault. It's our fault. Like, the the command that's given to fathers in the scripture is, fathers, bring your children up in the discipline or the yeah. fear of the Lord. Like, yeah. that's my mandate from God. I've got to make sure my children fear the Lord. But that's not what they're getting. They're, they're not getting that. And that's because, look, just point one, they're being discipled in humanism that says, Hey, no, you could pick whichever religion you want. You pick the religion that makes you happy. And I know lots of Christian parents that are like, oh, yeah, of course. I can't force them to be Christian, right? I can't force them to know God, and there's some truth to that. So, you know, I just got to let them, I just got to let them figure it out. And I'm like, no, that is precisely the opposite of what Scripture says. You're to teach them to fear the Lord, Right? You're to disciple them to fear the Lord. And if you put them in a school system and a, a social setting where everything is against the fear of the Lord, where people don't fear the Lord at all, they, in fact, it's the opposite. They mock the Lord. They mock those who fear the Lord. Yeah. And you put them in that type of a setting for how many years of their life, their formative years, Yeah. is it any wonder that they grow up without the fear of the Lord? Of course not. Of course not. That's exactly what is happening all over the place in our culture right now. Got it. So, okay, I'm going to push back on that a little bit. Yes, please do. Okay, so it, it, it's common knowledge or common uh, uh, believed truth that to be successful, you have to go to college, right? I know some good Christian kids growing up who feared the Lord. They have godly parents. They are taught scriptures. They go to, to, to church, Sunday schools, and all that. Then they go to college, but then they walk away, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So, um, so what, what you're saying is, is that even if you're raised in a godly home, don't even send your children to college or discourage them from doing it. Is that, is that what you're saying? I, I'm not saying that college will for sure make your, your Christian child a non-Christian. But there's what a possibility, I am saying, yeah. It's yeah. not just a possibility, it's a strong possibility, right? Yeah, yeah. What I'm saying is just by statistics, I think last time I heard, it was something like half of their, half of Christian children, half of children raised in the church lose their faith in high school, mm. and another half lose them in college, Yeah. right? Of those that, so if you're Christian entering into high school, there's only a 25% chance that you're going to graduate from college still a Christian, <laughs> something yeah. like that, okay? Yeah. Now, I'm not sure if that statistic is totally right, but I will say I think that largely matches what I've seen. Oh, wow. I think it, I think it matches it, and um, so yeah, it's it has a, a terrible effect. And again, I say this as a pastor 
who I actually feel like I do a fairly good job at discipling young adults such that they their faith can actually grow in college. So I say that as somebody who I'm saying I'm not saying it's a death sentence. Right. I think for sure if you go to college and you get in a great community and you have great leaders who can help disciple you on some of the stuff, then I think you can thrive in college. I I really thrived in college in my faith. So that's yeah. not impossible. I'm just saying for the average parent, you're like, oh yeah, of course I'm gonna send them to college. I'm like, you don't realize what you're doing. Mm. You don't realize what you're what you're calling your child to undergo, right? And the problem is they're not being prepared. That that's yeah. really the problem. We don't yeah. have churches and campus fellowships that can effectively protect and disciple and mentor and teach the students to handle the lies, all the lies that are going to be thrown at them while they're in college. Because they're, the lies are coming from people with, you know, prestigious PhDs, tons of data and statistics. And you send a, you, you call a student with, armed with their, you know, whatever, five years of Bible study that they did in church where they filled in the blank. That's literally most of the Bible studies. Fill in the blank, right, where every answer is God, Jesus, and sin. You know, it's like... And we send them now to college, and we're How like, "How dare you lambast that? That is a <laughs> phenomenal program." I, know, forgive I me. went through that, forgive bro. Me, forgive me. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> and then we and then we send them into these colleges, and of course they're gonna be challenged like crazy. And yeah, most of them they can't handle that because yeah, they're you yeah. know so. And to be clear, the answers are out there. Okay, to be clear, the answers are out there. But here's the problem. You're going to be shovel-fed all the wrong answers. Yeah. And if you want to find the right answers, you actually have to go looking for them in a serious way. Right? Yeah. Now, the good news is now we have, like, YouTube and podcasts. God bless us. Right? Yeah. And so the resources are out there. Right? They used to be locked away in books, which were, you know, I love books, but they are hard. Right? They're hard to get through and all this kind what of stuff. What are those? I don't even know what <laughs> yeah, those exactly, are. Yeah, exactly. Right? This generation doesn't is that, know you mean, really you what mean books Kindle? are. Yeah, they're like podcasts <laughs> in written form, right? Oh, and, you're um, really old, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, now we at least we have all these resources. So if you are like looking, at least they're out there. The problem now is overabundance of information, Got right? It, There's yeah. so much information yeah. that it's hard to be able to track down the specific information that you need right now. Yeah. Man, you, you hit the nail on the head when it's talking about preparing our children. Uh, because college is, is really, they're really trying to dissuade you from being Christian. I'm just going to say that. For sure. Right? Because I, I went to community college, and I remember I took a philosophy class, and the professor there, all he did was lambast Christianity and how Jesus is uh, just a, a prophet and all these things. And thankfully, I was... Um, equipped and I, I learned apologetics and all that and so I was able to have a conversation and dialogue and really push back on the professor and I mean it was a great uh, conversation that we had but if I didn't have that sure. I would be full-blown atheist today sure yeah so and 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 a lot of churches today are not really equipping children to defend their faith or to know their faith uh, to understand different worldviews uh, it, it's very just you're right sadly it is just kind of fill in the blank so, I mean, there needs to be a reformation here in kind of in, in youth programs and children's ministries and things like that. I mean, so... Oh, yeah. 
I mean, what, what would you say? What would you say to youth pastors now and kind of to uh, leaders of children ministries? Like, where, where can they start on this? Because yeah. you're not going to teach systematic theology to, you know, a bunch of yeah. eight years old, right? So yeah. where do you start? Well, look, we cannot put this all on the youth pastors and the pastors in general. And what mm. I mean by that is that we have an entire system that needs massive reformation, okay? Right. Like, look, the dominant model of church right now is, you know, a mega church where we have like an hour-long service, maybe an hour and a half, and and that's it, right? And you got to make you got to make that service fun. You got to make it snappy. You got to have great snacks. You got to have great fellowship events. And what I'm getting at mm. is the entire system of American Christianity is producing low commitment, low sacrifice Christians. And because of that, if you just say, hey, youth pastor, yeah, train your students. Well, I know what'll happen. Youth pastor will, you know, say, hey, we're going to have a training on Saturday. And, like, there's going to be, like, five kids that come out, and they're going to be so bored after, like, the first 30 minutes. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? And and I I get it. It's not... This is not an easy thing, and that's because there are so many underlying systemic issues. So, you know, one of the big ones that I've talked about with you in the past is this understanding a lot of the church functions on a pass, no pass system. And what I mean by that is when you go to college, you know, you could take a class, pass, not pass, or you could take it for a grade, right? Mm-hmm. If you take it, pass, not pass, there's only two grades, right? If you get a, if you get an A, it's just as good as a C. And when you're in that kind of a class, you don't aim for an A, right? You're, you aim for a C. And that's how the church really functions right now. We teach a pass, not pass version of judgment. It's either heaven or hell, right? And we compound that with this idea that, and yeah, and nothing you can do matters at all, right? It's like, it's no works contribute to this at all. It's just believe. All you got to do is believe. Stop trying to rely on earning favor with God. Just believe, right? So you get this package where you're lowering, lowering the need for discipline, lowering the need for sacrifice, lowering the need for all of this stuff. And it's like, hey, just believe in Jesus. And it's a free gift, no strings attached, all from the Father, just because he loves you and he'll never stop loving you. Okay? I'm caricaturing it a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. But I think all of us hear resonance. We hear bits of that type of message all the time in the church. And I want to say... I think it is so corruptive to the body. It has corrupted the faith of the body. Because number one, it's not a pass, no pass grade we're getting. It Mm -hmm. is a fully graded exam. Okay? It's a fully graded exam. Final judgment is a fully graded exam. And what I mean by that is, yes, there is a pass-fail element, just like classes with graded exams get, right? If you get an F, you fail. But... Getting a C or a high D is not the same thing as getting an A. And in the same way that when we take a college class and we get a bunch of A's, what happens? Well, we can go to a better grad school. We can get a better career. You know, all that that stuff. It works the exact same way in the kingdom. All right? Scripture talks about rewards and honors through the in the judgment but because the church is cut off from this understanding it's just pass not pass and if it's pass not pass well then we're just all aiming for c's right and wow wow that 
And that system is mm. ingrained at a young age. And the problem is this. You cannot go deep in the kingdom of God when you're half I don't I was going to say, you know, uh, all right, I'm just, you know, it's a half cuss word. If when you're half assing it, right? You half can't gluteus go deep. maximus. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. you. Come on, Dennis, you're a Christian, man. Thank you. You can't <laughs> go deep in the kingdom of God that way. Yeah, yeah. You cannot you cannot know God in a deep way. You cannot have a faith that can withstand major trial and hardship. Okay? Yeah. This is you know, this is what Jesus warns about. It's the it's the soil, the rocky soil has no depth. So when hardship or persecution comes, that that plant falls away. It withers and it dies. And that's why when I speak for youth groups, one of my go-to messages is I preach on the parable of the soils. Right? I think it's Matthew chapter thirteen. Yeah. The four types of soil. And I just get really real with these high school students. Okay, I tell yeah. them, look. You're probably rocky soil, okay? Everyone thinks they're good soil. And I have a message for you, average high school Christian. You're almost certainly rocky soil or, sh- or thorny soil, okay? Yeah. It's very, very difficult to be the good soil that Jesus talks about, all right? The vast majority of Christians in the American church, especially when we're talking about youth kids, youth kids are not operating on their own faith. They're operating on the faith of their parents and their and their pastors and teachers, okay? That's why you take a youth kid out of that situation, their faith is going to die. They have very little depth at this point, right? Got it. So it doesn't make sense to tell these youth kids, oh yeah, Jesus loves you so much, he's never going to let you go. You're... And you're you can never fall away. All of this stuff. And hear me, I'm not trying to get in an argument with my Reformed Calvinist friends, okay? Because most of the Reformed Calvinist people that I know that have deep faith, they're just as concerned about people falling away, okay? Yeah. And I'll, I'll simply say this: Yes, it's not easy to make it into the kingdom, and it it does no one a service when we tell these youth kids when we emphasize the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God to such a degree that there's no need. For serious sacrifice, no need for serious attention, for truly studying his word. I I look at youth kids, and they're not saying the word, and you know what I do? I try and rebuke the heck out of them, mm. right? I try to rebuke the heck. I try to put some of the fear of the Lord in them, because I think that's what the scripture says. The one who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night, he is like a tree planted by streams of water, bearing fruit in every season. All that he does prospers. His leaf does not wither. Okay, but that's the one who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. And guess what? Most youth kids aren't doing that. So if you don't have a strong value for the scripture as a young believer, are you going to last? And my answer is generally probably not. Probably not. The same message. That's that's a refrain, by the way. Okay, that's not just one passage I'm picking out. All right, John chapter 15. The one who abides in me, and my words abide in him. He is the one that bears much fruit. If you do not abide in me, and my words, if they do not remain in you, right, then you're like a branch that is cut off and thrown into the fire. This is a warning. This is a warning how we have to value his words. And it's not just hearing the word, it's doing the word. The one who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who builds his house on a rock. So that when the wind 
then the waves come, they have a solid foundation of faith and they're not shaken by the trials of life that will come. And that's what I'm trying to warn young believers about. Your faith is going to be tested. Okay? Your faith will be tested. And the question is, have you built a solid foundation that can withstand the testing that will come upon you? And honestly, most youth kids, the answer is no, because they're not serious about it. Okay? And look, to be fair to youth kids at this point, just Christians, because I'm pastoring mostly adults right now, and most of them are not that serious about this yeah, stuff. Yeah. And I, it's the same message as, hey, if you don't get serious about this, there's a very good chance you're going to fall away from the faith. All right? And that's because the Scripture warns us about this. All right? We have to, we have to treasure His Word in our hearts. Okay? Yeah. It's got to be something that's valuable to us if we long for wisdom and understanding like and if we go after it like we go after treasures and gold and silver if we value it more than that right then we will find it right that's the that's the the encouragement that's given to us in proverbs if we treat his word as a light thing as a thing that's not that valuable that's what the scripture scriptures refer to as despising if we despise the word of god mm then it will not be able to sustain us in the times of testing that we that we go through. All right? Wow, that's powerful. And yeah. uh, so that's why I'm saying this is not a problem of like, oh, yeah, these youth pastors, right? They're just, they're just not doing a great job. No, it's, it's, it's not about the youth pastors. It's about the entire system that we've yeah. built right now in the church that is fostering such shallow believers. And I say this lovely because I love these believers. I love these believers. But... It's, it's the fear of the Lord. The fear yeah. of the Lord is the thing that enables us to get depth. And that's what this whole, when we're talking about college, that's the problem here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, beginning of wisdom. Of wisdom. Yeah. And when the colleges abandon the fear of the Lord, now what they're doing is they puff up people with knowledge. But it's not wisdom. People are spending so many hours and hours and hours of their life learning all of this knowledge and they're being puffed up with all this knowledge but it's not wisdom it's not knowledge that leads to life right right, right. and that's why yes as christian leaders we should be questioning should we be recommending to our sons and our daughters that they go and spend tens of thousands in some cases hundreds of thousands of dollars to study knowledge that is not based on wisdom. And I think, generally speaking, the answer is no. The answer mm. is no, especially given what I think is the market. I, like I said, I think we're in a bubble of higher education. I think what's going to happen is this bubble is going to pop. And when it does, all of these prestigious degrees that we have aren't going to be worth all that much. Okay, Just like the housing bubble. Everyone thought these houses were worth $400,000, $500,000. But they weren't really worth that. Yeah. Right? And when yeah. the bubble started to pop, people realized, oh my gosh, my health is actually not worth as much as I thought it was. It's mm. the same thing with these degrees. They're not that valuable. They are valuable to some degree, but they're really not that valuable. And what I mean by that is what I think is going to start happening is we're going to see alternative forms of education. We're already seeing that, right? We're seeing coding boot camps. We're seeing you know trade schools and things like that because what you need is the skills, right? Mm-hmm. What you need are the skills, and I think what we're going to see, we, our whole you know market right now, 
is built on the credentialing of universities because the university system has been really great in our nation's past. So what we do is we allow the universities to be the, the ones that are, you know, um, guarding their institutions and the excellence of their institutions. And that's the whole college admissions process, right? Yeah. So they test you with the SAT. They test your grades. And they're like, okay, yeah, you show enough excellence that you can get in. And that system has worked for the overall market because really that's what employers are looking for. They're looking for, do you have the skills and do you really have the work ethic Right yeah. and the intelligence to be able to, to to learn and to grow and to make you a good employee. Yeah. But I think that we can find out those things apart from the college experience. Right. I think we can move into a more credentialing system. Right. Where employers yeah. are simply testing. Hey, can you do this job? Can you code this program? Right. Yeah. And if but so, Dennis, that discriminates against the person who majored in underwater basket weaving. What about them? I know. No, you're talking about me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> okay so i yeah here's the good news for anybody that spent a boatload on your education and now you're like oh my gosh pastor Janice is telling me that all it's like you, it's like worth this well, well, what, what did you major in what did you I, study i was a history major all right oh. i could have i could have double majored in political science I, I love political science i studied a lot of it so that's not a worthless it's not totally study. worthless all right come on we but, need that today it's 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 similar, right? If we're talking yeah. about you know how much is it worth on the job market, a history degree is worth as much as all these other social science degrees, which is essentially right. the skill that you're getting is English, right? I can right. read, yeah. I can write, I can think at a high level, something like that. Okay. Yeah. And everyone that has a social science degree, including those that have hard science degrees like biology, okay, we can all do the same thing. So we're all you know about the same on the job market essentially. Got it. Okay. So hey, I wanted to ask, okay, so you were a youth and, and college pastor, and here you were going Spurgeon on these kids, mm-hmm. right? And uh, you, you were preaching scripture, I mean, rocky soil. I mean, some of these things that these kids have not really heard. So what was their response? How did they respond? I mean, did the parents hear this? I and mean, what did they think of it? You know, I'd like to know. Yeah, it's a great question. So I will say this. I, I, I did youth for one year of my life, all right? Oh, so okay. I have not done a ton of youth, but oh, I speak at a number of youth events, right? So I'll do youth retreats. I'll do, you know, events with youth, and I'll speak there. So that's where, that's where most of my experience comes in terms of ministering to youth. Got it. And um, I'll say, for the most part, I get pretty good feedback. And that's because I'm, I'm bringing something that it, they're, they don't usually hear, right? If, if it was that message every week, it would be really hard on people. It's the same thing. You can't, you know, you can't just hit one aspect of the kingdom over and over and over and over again. Okay? For sure, for sure. Um, but because I preach on something that's kind of a neglected truth, yeah. what it does is it really galvanizes people, right? And that's why I do it. I can preach on the love and mercy of God. I actually love that message, okay? I yeah. love the love and mercy of God. It's just so overemphasized in comparison to the fear of the Lord right now, which is yeah. why when I'm guest speaking, I'll usually target more the fear of the Lord. And that message, it's so powerful for people because they they realize, oh, that's why I have to give everything, right? right. And ch- they feel challenged and they feel grace. They feel grace to pursue holiness. That's, that's the thing. Without the fear of the Lord, 
it's like you know you you should be holy you know you know you should pursue holiness but it's it's like but it's so hard right? yeah like it's so hard to pursue holiness and to fast and all this kind of stuff when i've got like all these great fun things to do and all these foods i could eat and it's just it's so difficult to choose the path of sacrifice and holiness without the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is really what gives us power and strength to be able to say, yes, even though I could be doing all these other fun things, I could be watching Netflix all day or you know, dating all these people or whatever it might be, but because of the fear of the Lord, I have the power to say, no, I'm not going to do any of that. I'm going to pursue the Lord with all my heart, my mind, my soul, my strength. Okay, so so the kids hear that and they're just there's a change in their hearts, and and was like, wow, I need to get right with God, but then they still go to college, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. and, and to be clear, it's some of them, right? Right, like, right. There's never a hundred percent positive review rate, but yeah, but yeah, yeah, because that, it's the system. Okay, there's an entire system here set up. Yeah, yeah. right. So. I, I, I've never done a message on why you should not go to college. Maybe I should, you know, craft one and start, you know, busting that one out when I do guest, guest speaking. No, parents are going to cancel you now. <laughs> well, look, I, I get canceled enough with or without this message. You I don't know, believe like, you. You're like the most likable guy out there. Yeah, I mean, I I am likable, bro. I People like me when they get to know no, me. No, but if no they, you are. You're, you're like one of the most fun people to be around. No, but but really, though, um, um, that that's going to be a hard message yeah. for parents to hear. Because sure. they want their kids to be successful. Yes. You know, they want them to, to make a, a good living, provide for their families, and traditionally, and even, I mean, my, my wife's a recruiter, and she keeps telling me this. You need a college degree. If you want to be successful in society, you need it. So, so... By preaching that message, you are going against the grain big time here. Yeah. Right? So. Well, look, I, I want our kids to be successful in eternity. That's it. That's I, it. Honestly, yeah. like, how is that a controversial message yeah. for the church, in the church? Yeah. Like, it, and, and the only reason is because people don't have a paradigm for that. Is what it comes Most parents have no paradigm for being successful or well rewarded in eternity, and yeah, if you don't have a paradigm for that, then you're like, hey, what's your problem? I want them to be successful in God first, which they yeah. are because I've been bringing them to church, and then I want them to be successful in the world because why not? Why not yeah. be successful in both? And then, you know, and that's the dominant thinking in our society, and I that's why I feel called to say, hey, but the scripture says you cannot. Yeah. You cannot do that. That's that's the problem. Like, what about these scriptures that say you cannot serve the love of money? You cannot serve money and God. Either you will love the one and despise the other, or you will love this one and despise God. That's what Jesus actually said. Yeah. So, right. parents don't realize. They think that, that you can, that you can love money and you can love God and you can be successful in both. But it, it's actually not possible. And to be clear, I'm not saying you can't be rich and do well in, in the judgment. But what I am saying is you cannot esteem your riches and do well in the judgment. Yeah. That's the whole idea, yeah. right? Paul says, all of these worldly privileges I had, I consider them garbage, rubbish, compared, yeah. right? Amen. Compared to knowing Christ. 
He's yeah. so much more important to me. These privileges, right? These things that I once took pride in, I realize now how worthless they are. And yeah. I gladly trade all of them for the sake of knowing Christ and making him known. And that's the idea here. You can be rich, but you live putting the kingdom first. And then what you do is you treat your riches like they're not that valuable to you because they're yeah. not, right? And yes, that's great. I'm all about that. I'm not saying anybody has to take a vow of poverty, right? The way I always put it is you have to take a vow of generosity, Yeah. all right? You have to take a vow that these riches and these titles and these these things that have merit and worth in this lifetime are going to be not that valuable for you, that you're willing to trade these things to to obey God and do what he's calling you to do. That's the only way to get the greater rewards in the kingdom. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's why it's so important. I know we've talked about this topic a lot. Uh, the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, that is so neglected in churches today. That needs to be taught, I feel, in every single message. Because that's the day that we're living for. When we stand before Christ, and he's going to reward us. And your accolades here in this world um, will not mean anything. Right. If, right. if it's not yeah. done with the right motive or right heart for his kingdom. So I know I joke around a lot of, uh, a bit, you know, but, but Dennis, um, I, I think that's why you're going to get a lot of rewards. And, and, and that's why, um, you know, I, I hope I'm not going to lose rewards for, for keep bragging about you, but... <laughs> You, you, you talk about the hard truths in Scripture, and that needs to be, in this day and age, it needs to be taught. Yeah. You know, so, um, so okay, they, they hear the message on, on not going to college, okay, because secular colleges are, are, are going to brainwash your kids, and some parents do believe that, but now they have another option now. They have Christian colleges now. Right. Right. Is it okay to send kids to Christian colleges? Yeah, that's a good question. It really is because it should be, right? Yeah, it should be, and and yeah. and a lot of Christian parents do send them to Christian colleges precisely because they don't want them being indoctrinated in worldly ideologies and stuff like that, which yeah. I appreciate. Okay, <clears throat> but the the sad truth is that a lot of kids who go to Christian colleges don't fare much better, and mm. um. And, and look, it's not. It's actually not that hard to understand why, because in the church we're battling legalism. Okay, we're battling. Mm -hmm. You know, it, the, the battle in life can be summed up as a war between the extremes of legalism and lawlessness. Yeah. Okay. You don't want to fall into either extreme. Going to college, the temptation is going to be overwhelmingly on the lawlessness side, yeah. right? In the Christian world, the battle is on the legalism side. All right to have a holiness that's just exterior only, all right? And what I'm getting at here is, look, our Christian universities should have 24-7 houses of prayer that every student is involved in, okay? Mm. Like, I, I just want to say this. If you're in seminary and you don't have a robust, rugged prayer life, what are you doing? What do you think you're doing? And I'll tell you what you're doing. You're filling yourself up with biblical knowledge, but not with real depth. Because you cannot 
grow in God in a deep way apart from a thriving prayer life. I have a conviction about that, okay? Mm. Now, I'm not going to say that a thriving prayer life is the only thing that you need, but I am going to say that many Christians go to Christian universities or seminary, and they learn, they get all of this head knowledge about God, but what happens is they become increasingly religious. And I, I'm not trying to say everyone's like that. There's lots of great students that grow a lot, right, mm-hmm. in seminary and at Christian colleges. I'm just saying the battle on that side is against legalism, and the temptation is to grow in the knowledge about God without experiential knowledge of God, right, and without growing in, in our convictions and our obedience. It's not the one who hears the word. It's the one who hears it and obeys and does it. Okay, and so uh, yeah, forgive me. I don't want to. I don't want to paint all Christian colleges with the same brush. Some are doing a much better job than others. Okay, and um, and a lot of people throughout history have gone to Christian schools and have been really blessed by it. Uh, my seminary experience, I should say, was amazing. Mm-hmm. All right, I loved my seminary experience, and um, that's because I didn't go to seminary until I felt like the Lord told me to go. All right, so I actually started in ministry very young age, like twenty two, twenty three. I can never remember. Um, and you know, people around me were like, Hey, you need to go to seminary. You're a pastor. You need to go to seminary. And I understand that advice. That's not terrible advice. Right. But I really prayed about it and I felt like the Lord said, do not go to seminary. And so I said, look, I honestly prayed about it. I'm open to going, but I really feel like God's telling me not to go to seminary. And so I ministered for six years as a pastor with no seminary education. Right. But I had a real love for the scriptures. So I seriously studied the scriptures but I did not go to seminary. And then the Lord told me to go very clearly, explicitly. He said, now's the time, go to seminary. And I went, and um, it was phenomenal. It was amazing for me. I had such a wonderful time doing it. And so I simply say this, um, a lot of people go to seminary um, because it's the, it's the pastor thing to do. They want to be a pastor, they want to serve the kingdom, so they just go to seminary. And it, for a lot of them, it kills their faith, all right? Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. It, they get, they, really? you know, they... Oh yeah, cemetery, right? I, I went to a church once where that's the only w- the, the only way they referred to seminary was cemetery because <laughs> so many people's <laughs> faith dies in seminary, and yeah, that happens all the time. Okay, and wow. that's that's because um, yeah, it's it's not helpful. You, we all have to follow God. Yeah. All right, we all have to follow God. Whenever we resort to a pattern or to um, a pathway that it's like, the, oh, this is the way you're supposed to do it, I think you're in danger of getting away from God. And the danger with the pastor path or the seminary path is it's, you know, it's so well established in many of these, you know, institutions and things like that, that a lot of people just do it without really seeking the Lord. I mean, like, God, should I do this? Should I go to seminary? And all this kind of stuff, and they don't realize it can make them, it can make you really religious, right? There's a trap there on the legalism side. And so I would just simply say to everyone, yeah, we all have to follow the Lord. The best thing you can do as a believer is to surrender yourself to God and say, God, I will go wherever you want me to go. I'll go to Christian college. Mm. I'll go to a secular college. I'll go to no college. I will go wherever you want me to go. I surrender to you. Lord, help me to follow you, okay? And just that process of surrendering to him, what I really think it does is it brings the Lord's blessing on our life and it enables God to lead us in our life, all right? So I would simply say that. That's the best thing you do, surrender to him, whatever path he would have for you, okay? Even if it's like to go be a missionary right now, whatever it might be, surrender to it and then do your best 
to discern what the Lord's will is for your life, listen to advice from people, that's fine, but you're going to stay surrendered to God, and you're going to make the best, you're going to make the choice that is your best guess at God's will for your life. That's how I tend to counsel people. And I think that generally speaking, if we do that, then God will lead us in our lives, and what we're going to find is that there's grace, okay? Wow. Wow. And and it's the grace that matters. Okay, I went to I went to Berkeley, which is one of the most liberal universities in America, and I I thrived there because I felt like God's grace was so strongly on my life there, right? And and then I went to seminary and I felt God's grace on that. And then I've been, you know, ba- practically unemployed for the past year and I felt God's grace on that. You know, like it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what you're doing or when you're doing it. It all that matters is that God is leading your life and he's providing grace because I've also been in seasons where there was no grace <laughs> when I did not follow the Lord right and yeah. you know that does happen where you just feel like there's no grace on your life in this season and the big question I always ask for people in that just make sure did you disobey God all right did you surrender like this wherever you're living in your life right now did you obey the Lord did you surrender say God whatever you want I surrender to you right yeah. and make sure you go back and you do that right make sure you go back and say hey God, this season has been so hard. I just feel such little grace. Let me go back and surrender and say, God, if you want me to stay here, I'll stay. But if you want me to go, I'll go, whatever. And doing that, that's the best thing that we can do, okay? Whether it's to seminary or to secular university or whatever. Yeah. Well, I never really thought of it about it that way before. I mean, yes, we are to follow God's leading and we wait for him to speak to us. But when it comes to going to Christian university, it's always a resounding yes from everybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a uh, Christian university, seminary, yes, go for it. <laughs> Even if you don't become a pastor, you're going to learn so much. But oh, no. I know a lot of people that have regretted going to Christian schools. Wow, I, man. See, I, I, you know, I majored in procrastination and I never got my degree. So I, I don't know anything about schooling. I'm self-taught. I'm I'm an armchair theologian at best. So um, yeah, I I never thought about it that way before. I mean, that's that's a big wake-up call. Yeah. But l- let's pivot away from dissuading our youth from going to colleges, um, mm-hmm. and let's talk about those who are in colleges now. Yep. Okay. How do should they just pack up and leave? you know or i mean of course not right i mean they should i feel like they should stick with it right i mean um but there's still that danger of being uh you know uh being dissuaded about christianity because that's really what their agenda is so so what's your advice for them because you went to the mecca of leftist thought i don't know Mm -hmm. how you survived there and stayed christian <laughs> oh yeah, you were, pre- you were predestined. But um, but so yeah, what would you what would you say? Look, the the best thing at any stage of life, if you have not done this, do it now. Surrender. Say, God, I will go wherever you ask me to go. I am surrendered to you. You're the boss of my life. Okay, my life is not my own. Right, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives within me. Therefore. I don't have the authority, I don't have the right to make my decisions about my own life, okay? I am a servant, I'm a bond servant of Christ, all right? We have to assume that mentality. And I say that if you've never done that, you've got to start, you got to start today, okay? Now, what I'm not saying is that you do that and then whatever thought you get, oh, I just thought of Egypt, time to go to Egypt, right? I'm not saying that we have to become hyper-spiritual like that all of a sudden. 
Okay. All I'm saying is that we surrender ourselves first and then we do our best to follow him. So yes, if you're in college right now, yes, stay in college unless you feel like God speaks to you super strongly in a very powerful way. You get wise, you get you know counsel and affirmation that yes, you're supposed to leave and do something. But I, I just want to say this, as believers, that's what we really should be hoping for. We should be hoping that God would interrupt yes. the plans of our life with a divine mandate, with a divine instruction where he says, Dennis, now I'm calling you to go do this, all right? I'm not saying that has to happen to everybody. In a lot of seasons of our life, it won't happen. It's not supposed to happen. But I am saying this is what it means to be a follower of Christ, where we want God to look at our lives and say, I've found a servant. I've found someone Amen. that will follow me and that will do my will, right? Amen. And yeah. understand, that kind of person is rare, right? Even in Paul's day, he said, that he, speaking about Timothy, right? He said, I have no one like him. Right, that puts the interests of Christ before his own interests. Right? Like he found in Timothy somebody who's truly devoted right, to Christ wow. and willing to do whatever God, whatever God wanted him to do. And that type of person is rare. And when God finds someone like that, absolutely, in my experience, he leads that person in dynamic ways. He leads that person in dynamic ways. So all I'm saying is surrender to God and then Put the kingdom first. So if at, you're at your university, seek the kingdom first, all right? When I was in university, I made it my, my decision. My first priority is going to be seeking revival at this school. That's yeah. first, right? That's more important to me than getting good grades, okay? Now, to be clear, I'm not saying that you should shirk your work and, like, you know, like, oh, whatever, Fs, it doesn't matter, you know. No, 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 whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might, Scripture says. Be excellent in what you're doing, okay? Yeah. But getting our priorities right is is essential, all right? If we put the kingdom first, then all of these other things will be added unto us. God will provide for all the other stuff that we need. If we that What that means implicitly is if, if we don't put the kingdom first, then he won't provide all the other stuff that we need. All right? That's the part that we, you know, we don't really talk about, right? But yes, that's the implication here. If you put the kingdom of God first in your life, you seek his kingdom first and his righteousness, then all of these other things that you need will be added unto you. He will provide for all these other things. So put that first and seek his kingdom first. And then, in my experience, yes, God will start to dynamically lead you in your life. All right, and I I know so many people whose God has taken a hold of their lives, and they and and when God takes a hold of our life, it tends to move in ways that we don't expect. I always tell people, look, plan in pencil. It's good to have like a five ten year plan of your life. I think that's 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 good because you goals to work towards all that kind of stuff gives you vision. But you've got to plan in pencil if you're a servant of Christ. Yes. Okay, because God has the right to interrupt your plans. And in my experience, he, he wants to interrupt our plans because our plans aren't his plans. Yeah. His plans are always far more amazing than our plans are. And, and I should clarify, by amazing, I don't mean that he, you know, you're going to live in a bigger house than you know, something like that. No, his plans are of eternal significance. He wants to lead us into, into his calling for our lives, which is eternally valuable. But I should also point out, it tends to look like the more eternally significant your life is in God, 
the more it looks like it kind of sucks, oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> you know, that's from true. a from a human worldly perspective. Yeah. And that's part and parcel. That's how this works, right? He who seeks to save his life will lose it, but he loses his life for my sake will find it. The one who would be, you know, greatest in his kingdom must become the servant of all, right? We see this dynamic all the time. So if we put him first, we say, God, your will be done, not my will be done, then yes, I believe God tests us with servanthood. He tests us. Every great man or woman of God that I know that's truly great, when I look at them, I'm like, wow, their faith is amazing and their character is so strong. If you take time and listen to their stories, you will hear all the stories of betrayal, right? You will yeah. hear the stories of uh, where they were tested in areas of great forgiveness. They had to forgive in a great way. They were tested in areas where they trust him with their finances in serious ways. They were tested in all of these different areas because that's what this life is for. It's for the testing of our faith. When Hebrews talks about the hall of faith, it's talking about all of these great men and women of God who went through great tests of faith. And it says they never saw what was promised. They were promised these great glories. They never saw it in this life on earth, right? But they had this faith, which is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. And they lived in such a way that they will receive great reward in the age to come. And that's the promise that we have. Yeah. Man, I'm ready to quit my job, sell everything. <laughs> Come on, bro. Don't actually Seriously. quit, but yeah, willingness. Yes. No, no, I'm, I'm being serious here. I mean, I'm not going to quit, but like I'm being serious. Like my heart is flamed right now. Like I, because when you, when you think about the age to come, that lasts forever. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. And when you think about the riches and the accolades here, it's not even a, it's nothing compared to eternity. Yeah. Yeah. So. I'm with you, Paul. Man, I, yeah, you, you know, what, what I was meaning to ask were, were the, the, the practicals of how do you protect your heart and mind when you're in college, but I think what you're saying right now is the cure for those who are in college right now. Think about the age to come seek first his kingdom absolutely you know absolutely. i think about the, the heroes of my faith i mean was it george mueller right who just went and 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 trained to become uh, a priest or a pastor or something like that just because it was the noble thing to do right was that him i don't know in his story yeah i think it was him and then god really met him and he opened orphanages in in in, in britain and i mean and he died with barely anything in his account in his bank account i mean he died all he cared about was just riches in heaven yeah so sure. yeah yeah i mean man I, yeah. i'm lost for words right now man i just can't yeah. no it's good i mean that, I, that, yeah i feel the same way and i yeah. i want to clarify yeah god is calling people into the marketplace yeah. And right, so a holy lifestyle does not always look like you know poor pastor or something like that, right? Yeah, like, of course. God's of course. calling lots of people into the marketplace, um, yeah. but it's with the same heart, right? To yeah. put the kingdom first. Like we had Chrissy on, right? She's a she's an entrepreneur, right? A business owner. Mm -hmm. But you look at her life, and yeah, she, you can tell this girl's all about the kingdom, right? Yeah. The kingdom is 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 everything to her, and that that's 
That's what I'm talking about. And those are the types of leaders that we need in all of these fields. I actually feel like the next, you know, the, the next great move in the church, I feel like what God is going to raise up so many leaders outside of the church, actually. And I feel like it's already starting to happen. I look at some of the greatest leaders of the faith that I'm looking at these days. A lot of them are non-ministers, right? They're not missionaries. They're not pastors. They're people that God's raising up in the marketplace in various areas, but they have this incredibly bold faith, right? And I, I just want to encourage those who are, you know, in the marketplace, yeah, go after God, you know, be, be faithful in that place, but yeah, don't, don't settle for a, a lukewarm faith. None of us can settle for lukewarm faith, and this is a fight for all of us. I just want to say, Paul, I'm in the exact same place as you, brother. Like, I appreciate that you're saying, Hey, you know, Des, I look at you, and you look like someone who's going to be greatly rewarded. And I, I, I feel like I look at me, and I honestly don't think I'm going to be greatly rewarded if I were to mm. die today, okay? And mm. to be clear about that, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to be self-deprecating in the sense that, oh, no, no, nothing good. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying, when I, if I'm honest with the scriptures, I feel like, um, you know, I, I use an analogy, Okay. And if, if our grade is A through F, okay, on the judgment, if this is the, if using this, this grading scale, and F is someone who's not saved, right? My, if I had to guess at what the judgment's going to look like, I think 90% of people who have ever lived are going to get an F on this test, meaning only 10% are going to get a D or higher, are going to enter into life, okay? Mm-hmm. Of those 10%, I think 90% of them are going to get a D. They're just going to get eternal life and no rewards, Right. And of those, you know, now 1% of people that are left, I think 90% of that 1% are going to get C's, right? And so on. So the people who get A's are so few of all the people who have ever lived. And these are the heroes of the faith. I think mm. martyrdom is probably essential to get an A, okay, on the grading scale, which is why Paul says, I long to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. I think he understood this aspect, Right. We will, we will share in his glory if we share in his suffering. He, he uses a lot of this language in his letters, right? That's why Peter and John went away rejoicing when they were whipped because they understood they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name. I think wow. all of that they understand to get an A, maybe even a B, you have to go through real persecution, like serious persecution, okay? So that's why I say when I look at my life, if I have to be honest, I think I'm probably at a C right now. Okay, yeah. and I, and I'm not saying that to discourage anybody, because I know that people can look at me and be like, "Oh, wow, he's a person of great faith." Um, but the truth is that this is what I'm talking about. Our American church is largely in the C to F range. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. Such so that when we see somebody yeah. who's going to get an A, we don't even recognize how great they are from heaven's perspective, because yeah. their their greatness isn't well understood in our culture, right? Yeah. And so I, I simply say that, like, man, that's my number one prayer, Paul. My number one prayer is that I would be counted as worthy, right, wow. to receive great reward, which also part and parcel is that I'd be worthy to suffer for the name. And I say that with humility because I don't – I've thought seriously about being martyred, about being um, tortured. Nobody wants to go that. I don't want to go through that. But yeah. I, I keep praying, you know, that I would have the courage – to be able to go through serious suffering, right? Yeah. That I have the courage for that. And in humility, I don't know if I have that courage right now, you know, but I'm, I, I pray God, 
make me someone who has the depth and the maturity to be able to go through serious suffering for your name, right? Where my faith can be tested in that way because that's, that's the dream of my life and for those that I disciple. I pray the same thing for those that I disciple. My great desire is that they would have that kind of maturity and that they would be greatly rewarded in the age to come because I know how yeah. difficult and hard that is, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, one thing that I, I hear a lot from pastors and, um, well, kind of in their sermons, it's almost as if they're dissuading Christians to have ambition. Mm-hmm. Right? Right? Yeah. Ambition is a bad thing. For sure. Um, um, I think that's totally false. I think ambition is a good thing if it's set in the age to come. Exactly. That's exactly so, right. So what I hear from you is you have this dream and this desire to be rich. One of the most beautiful things I saw was actually at your house. One of your kids put, you know, what are some of their wishes or something like that. And they put to be rich in heaven. Yeah. I took a picture of that and I put that on my Facebook, on Instagram. <laughs> I mean, that's what we want. Yeah. Right? So to our listeners... Uh, you know, our prayer for you is be ambitious, be extremely ambitious, but don't store your riches and your accolades and all that stuff here. Store it in heaven. Yeah, that's exactly right, man. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I, I just want to say, I understand why yeah. believers feel that. I wrestled, there was a season in my life where I really wrestled with this idea of ambition because yeah. I had always been like, I've got to crucify my ambition. Yeah. Right? I've got to crucify my ambition. No ambition for me. Nothing for me. All for you, God. Right? But as I studied scripture, yes. I felt like, you know, I don't know if that's the right mentality, actually. Because I saw where it seems like Jesus is calling us to have the right kind of ambition, a holy ambition. Right? And to share, like, um, John 5 says this. I've come in my Father's name, and you have not received me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will receive him. Mm-hmm. How can you believe if you accept glory from one another, yet do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Right? That's really what, what Jesus is talking about here. In John 12, it says, For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. Yeah. And there's this contrast that they couldn't recognize how great Jesus was because their understanding of glory was so shaped by worldly standards, yeah. right? And they didn't seek the glory that comes from God. If they sought the glory that comes from him, then they would have recognized the characteristics of Jesus that are actually truly great. And, yes. and that's the idea. We are to seek the glory that comes from God because that's real glory. And yes. we're actually told, like, Romans chapter 2. So I want to give some verses to people who, you know, are, are, are wrestling with this stuff. And so, you know, they can see that, no, this is actually in the Bible, okay? Yes. Um, Romans 2.8. Oh, no, excuse me. 2.6 um, says, God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. That's a difficult passage for a lot of people because it sounds like works righteousness. It sounds like you're earning your salvation some way, okay? So I want to be really clear. We can't earn our salvation by being good enough, okay? Yes. But the glory, God wants to give glory 
to those that he has redeemed, right? He gives us salvation as a gift for obe- for faith in Christ, right? But um, the, that's where works come into play. And it's very, it's, it's all over the scripture once you have the paradigm. Yeah, it, it's replete in scripture. Jesus talks about it. Uh, you know, one of the, the verses that I think about where he's talking about to those who want to be first in the kingdom. Right. Right, be, be the last. Yep. If you want to be great, be a slave to all. Right. So, yeah, so this is the doctrine of rewards. I highly encourage everyone to look into this because um, that, that's when, when Jesus returns, we will all stand before him and all believers will, everything, your, your thoughts, your actions, your motives will be laid bare before Christ. Yes. And he's going to reward it according yes. to the standard of his word. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. And just something really practical for people, because I know yeah. that, you know, what's on our hearts, how can we help Christians who are in college thrive? Yeah. Just something very practical. And this is what I train, you know, all the college students that I've mentored is join a, a, a prayer group praying for revival on your campus. Just very mm. practical. Okay. If there's not one, try and start one. Okay. Um, but look, what you're doing is when you're seeking revival on your campus, you are putting the kingdom first because that's God's desire. God wants to bring revival to your school mm-hmm. and to your city, right? And you start seeking that in prayer. And that's the prayer part is always, in my opinion, the first part that's really got to get set. When the, when the devotion to prayer gets set, then what I find is that God starts to give burdens for more specific things. So people then get burdened out of that place of praying for their campus. They'll get burdened for, you know, their, I don't know, student senate, right? Or they'll get burdened to, to do evangelism on campus. Or they'll get burdened, right, to serve the homeless in the city or something like that. There's lots of different burdens that God can lay on our hearts. But it starts by praying for the kingdom to come, right, on your campus in your Amen. city and being devoted to that. And so that's always my encouragement. Again, you know, it, it's, we all have to follow God, okay? So follow the Lord, but if you're looking for a place, how do I start? Start there, right? Pray for your campus, get with other believers who are, are serious about prayer for, for their city and for their campus, and just devote yourself to that. Be faithful in that. Do at least once a week prayer meeting. But I recommend if you can do more than that, do two, three prayer meetings a week. I, I promise you, this is what I find with prayer. If you do two, three prayer meetings a week, it won't happen all at once, but in the space of a couple of weeks, if you're doing that regularly, you will start to feel real a heart for the things of God. It yeah. will start to grow more inside of your heart as you're diligent in that place. And I understand for some people, that's harder than others, okay? So mm. I don't want to lay a burden on anybody that's, that, that's too much for them, but I would say as a good starting place, man, that's it. Those students that I've found that have done that, they tend to thrive in the Lord during their college years. Wow. Well said. Well said. Yeah, man, I, I'm just curious how you um, you didn't become a, a, a leftist when just going to Berkeley. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, it's yeah. a good question. You know, for, yeah. for me, um, because I wasn't, I wasn't um, knowledgeable about all the political stuff especially. Mm. Right. I was like, you know, I came from a Korean youth group and I'm like, I'm just about the kingdom. Right. I don't I don't care about the politics. I had a friend who was like really into Christian politics and he's trying to always, you know, convince me to support Republican, the Republican Party. And I was like, dude, I don't care about that. 
right? I just want to pray <laughs> for a revival. And right. Stop trying to make me like political, dude. <laughs> right. You know, um, but what it was was it was it was honestly I just gotta say I think it was my devotion to scripture that yeah. and I did have I you know my my youth pastor and my teachers they were they came from a more reformed you know Calvinist background and the thing that I actually really appreciate about the reformed Cal you know reform movement is they have a high value for scripture right so they're gonna they're gonna say hey you've got to study the scripture you have to honor the scriptures even when it sounds like it's not fair. Right? Even if you yeah. read Romans 9 and you interpret it like, yeah, God chooses some people for glory and some people for hell. And mm -hmm. if, you know, that's how it, hey, we have to have the humility to say, even though that doesn't seem fair to me, um, I have to trust God's word, right? That he knows why when we see the full picture, we'll be like, oh, that's, that's why it was so fair. We've got yeah. to esteem his word more than our own sense of wisdom and right and wrong. And um, that mentality is so maligned right, in our culture and at universities, yeah. right? Oh, yeah, these Christians, they just turn off their brain. They just do whatever, the you know, their scriptures tell them to do. But there's actually, what it is, is it's, it's, it's having humility. It's humility that, look, I'm, I, I'm just a person. I'm just a human, right? I don't have the ability to understand all of these vast things, right? So in areas where I'm not sure, I'm going to trust these scriptures. They've worked, right? They've worked throughout history, yeah, they, and I'm gonna I'm gonna trust it, and I'm going to in humility, and that was actually such a great value for me to have going to college, because in all these areas where I just didn't know, I just like look, I don't know, I don't know, but I trust the Bible, I trust the Bible, and when I first started studying the scriptures as a high school student, as a college student, I all I had were questions. I have journals, and I just filled up these journals with all these questions. Like, God, how did that doesn't make sense? How does that make sense? I just had so yeah. many questions of the Bible, right? And it wasn't that I, I wasn't rebellious. I was honestly trying to understand it. And I think that's actually really healthy, right? When you're young and you're coming to the Bible, I think, yeah, you should have lots of questions because a lot yeah. of things are not obvious. They don't make a lot of sense, right? Yeah. And That's being a Berean. You're wrestling yes, with scriptures. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And it really wasn't until years and years later that I started to get feel like I got real understanding of what these scriptures meant, right? Mm. And and all of that is what protected me when I was in college, right? Because I I trusted the scriptures and I I had a real relationship with them. I, I worshipped. And the my connection to God in worship kept my heart to a place where I knew the reality of God even if I couldn't logically prove everything at the time, yeah. right? Even if I couldn't logically prove everything, it's like, hey, I don't know about this, and I don't know about this, but I know that God's real, and I know this is what the Scripture says. The Scriptures are keeping me grounded, right? And my intimacy with the Lord yes. through prayer and worship is keeping my heart soft and tender towards Him. Yes. They cannot disprove your experience with God. When you have a real intimate relationship with God, and, and let's say they have all these arguments against it, you know, Christianity, and you're not well-versed in Christian apologetics, you point to your experience. But I know I've met God. For sure. The Holy yeah. Spirit has filled me. So, yeah, no, no, that's extremely powerful, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. And, I, and I'm thankful. I, ha I had testimonies as a young man, right? Yeah. Like, I had real experiences with God that I knew where God, like I had an experience when I was in high school where um, my, one of my teachers prophesied over me and, um, and I wept for like, I don't know, like 
five, ten minutes. I was just weeping, you know, and mm. I hadn't cried. I remember at that point, I hadn't cried in years. Like, my heart had gotten so hard, and I hadn't cried in years. And I was just weeping because of of the Word of God going into my heart, right, in a, in a serious way. And so I had some of these experiences as a young man of the Lord that I was like, I know he's real, and I know he loves me, and I know he's with me, and I know he's guiding my life, right? So that I'm thankful. I'm so thankful for my teachers and my pastor, my youth pastor who had a real relationship with God and who really ministered to me in a real way. Like, I understand for a lot of, a lot of young believers, they don't have some of those experiences, right? Yeah. And it's true, like, it's very difficult to have a, a deep faith without getting these experiences in the Lord. And and all I mean by that is the the maturity of our communities, right, matters. It matters yeah. a lot. I, I, I really do feel for believers that grow up in churches that are pretty dead, you know? Like, the faith of the church is pretty dead, and they, they don't have many experiences with God. I really feel for them, because I can see that they want to follow God, but they just haven't experienced much, you know? Well, what do you think that is? Why are there some Christians who have never experienced God in a very tangible way? Yeah. I mean, I feel like God promises that if we seek Him with all of our heart, we will find Him. Yeah. And so why, why are there some who haven't? Like, um, yeah. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, yeah, because it's a corporate promise, okay? Mm. A lot of these promises are corporate. And what I mean by that is that it's not a promise given to every individual. It's a promise given to a people. And so it's true on a people-wide level. But there's this aspect of all of us sharing the blessings of curses of our parents, most specifically, but our spiritual family, our family around us, right? Mm -hmm. So meaning if we have parents, you know, who are super faith-filled and flow in, in the prophetic and healing and all of that kind of stuff, then we probably have experiences growing up, right? In my case, like I had, you know, I had these teachers and pastors who had a faith that brought me into those experiences. If they didn't have that faith, I wouldn't have had those experiences, right? So I okay. shared in that blessing, and that's a real thing, right? Like, yeah. it's a, such a huge blessing to have leaders that have deep faith. And honestly, that's something yeah. we haven't talked about. But look, I, I just say this. A lot of, you know, a lot of Christians go to churches out of some out of a sense of obligation and they're not really growing there meaning the leaders there don't have really deep or strong faith and they're like god where are you in my life and look there's there's kind of two sides here right on one side you don't want to just be leaving a church just because of, of weaknesses that you see every church has weaknesses okay but I am saying look I know a lot of believers they're at, at dead at dead churches and dead fellowships and and they're like, God, where are you? It just doesn't seem like you're here. And I'm like, no, you chose to go to that dead church and that dead fellowship. Oh, wow. Right? Wow. Like, yeah. you you chose that, that community, right? Or your parents chose that community if you grew up. Like, there are churches that have vibrant faith, that have great leaders. I'm not saying that they're easy to find, per se, but they're out there. And the, and the point is, if your relationship with God is the most important thing to you, then you should, you've got to seek after those things, right? You yeah. have to go after those things. Like for me, I have a policy. I'm not going to be at a dead church unless God tells me explicitly, <laughs> right? Unless God's like, I want you there, right? 
I'm yeah. not going to choose to be at a dead church where I don't have the ability to actually affect the church, right? It's different because I'm a pastor, I'm a leader, so I have a, I have yeah. the power to change culture, right? But if I'm like a, a lay person and you know they don't want me ministering or whatnot, I'm not going to choose to stay at a dead church without a really good reason from God because my priority in life is I've got to get closer to him. That's my yeah. priority, right? Yeah. I've got to get closer to him. So I need to surround myself with people that have strong faith. And that yeah. is, is, that's my responsibility. I think a lot of people don't understand this. Like having a fr- some friends that have really strong faith is one of the greatest blessings that you can have in your life. It is, they are a treasure, okay? And if, you, if there's something you should go after, you should go after people who have strong faith. You should do whatever you can to be their friends, <laughs> all right? Yeah. Like, I, when I was in college, I met, I met some people that had strong faith. I followed them around, right? I was like, I must be your friend, all <laughs> right? Like, I'm, like yeah. I don't want to be super annoying, per se, but I'm like, I want, I want to be close to these people because I want their faith to rub off on me. And yeah. let me just tell you, as a, a, as a leader now, I'm looking for people that have that heart. If I find somebody that's hungry to know the Lord, I'm like, hey, I want to pour into your life. Right? I want to help you in whatever way that I can, right? Because that's that's my heart as a leader. I want to disciple and mentor people who are hungry to know the Lord. So if you're hungry to know the Lord, I promise you, if you are looking for mentors and or brothers and sisters who have strong faith, I, I say they're looking for you too. You got to go after them. But people who don't have that hunger, who aren't really you know, looking for it, look, you need to have some humility and say, hey, it's your own lack of hunger, lack of, you know, pursuit of the Lord that is is contributing to you being in a place where you're kind of in a dead place. you got to take responsibility for that, right? So start yeah. with God. My priority now is i got to be close to you. And if you want yeah. me to stay at this church and you're going to provide grace for me to thrive here, then so be it. But otherwise, God, I'll go wherever. Right? I will move to whatever country, right, to be yeah. close to you, f- to find a great community. And that's a priority in my own life. So I feel yeah. fine recommending that to others. Wow. Yeah, Proverbs thirteen twenty: He who walks with wise will become wise. Companions yes. of fools will suffer harm. And I'm also reminded, I don't remember the verse exactly, but the Apostle Paul talks about this, that those who are not living it out don't even be around them. Right. Yes. So that is so important. Gosh, Wow. Yeah, that's um, not practiced in a lot of churches today, sadly. You know, um, for sure. Yeah, that's for sad. Sure. Yeah, I. Yeah. yeah, I just tell believers, look, we only get one shot at this life, right? We only get one yeah. shot at this life. If it's honestly one of the, it's like it's like a cheat code, all right? It's like a cheat code. To have friends that are seriously pursuing the Lord is one of the best things that you can do that is yeah. going to cause you to grow closer to Christ. It's like yeah. one of the greatest treasures ever. I'm saying if you don't have that, go find those people. I promise you they're out there. Okay, yeah. Those people are out there. Some of them, they might be at your church, whatever. Maybe you're like, well, I don't really click with them. Well, make yourself click with them. Right? Like, <laughs> I, I'm serious. You have to change. right? You have yeah. to adapt. Like, There are people that I have seriously adapted to because I wanted to be close to them. That was important to me. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that excuse, well, I don't really click with them. If you are diligent and passionate about wanting to be a Christ follower, you will click with them. Yes. Because you will share the same values. 
If you are on fire for God, it will come natural for you to be around people who are on fire for God. Right. So this excuse that I don't click with them, their personalities, we don't mesh. Sorry. Yeah. I, I see right, you know, we see right through that. That's, that's, yeah. and, and I don't the, buy that excuse. And there's a lot of, look, yeah. there's a lot of things you can do. If you're serious, if you want to grow, I can tell you, like, just, yeah. I would always say pray and surrender to the Lord first, okay? Because we yeah. have to follow the Lord. But look, if you go to IHOP, all right, if you do like a six-month internship at IHOP, how, like how can you not grow in your love for the Lord, right? If you go, mm-hmm. you can do soon, you know, um, SAFA, right, which is contends school, intercessor school. Like you're yeah. going to grow in the Lord. You, like a lot of people do a, a YWAM DTS, right, where they spend a year YWAM. And, like these are things that yeah. can help jumpstart your faith if you're, you know. And again, I'm not saying that you should just pick up and do it without really praying and seeking the Lord because we like I said we all have to follow the Lord where yeah. he's leading us but I'm just saying there's lots of faith-filled communities that are open like anyone can join them yeah right like they're out there you just got to go f- go after it yeah yeah and I think it starts with your individual seeking I mean corporate sure. seeking is is I I never thought about it that way before yeah you know about how where you are corporately affects how God moves. I mean, my God, I mean, yeah, I mean, I thought of it, but in that sense, like being in a church, but how you seek God and the time that you're spending in prayer, reading his scriptures, I mean, seeking him individually, it will lead to that corporate. You will then start to feel like I don't really belong here. Sure. Yeah. Because people don't have the same fire and then it'll be easier for you to say, you know what? I don't think this is for me. And then you Absolutely. pray and you ask God and it'll open doors for you. But it starts first with your personal discipline. Absolutely. Are you spending time on your knees yeah. seeking God? Are you reading his word? Yeah. 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 And I'll, I'll just say this, man. It is so much easier to engage with God in a faith-filled community in, in so many different ways, right? Like I can't tell you the blessing is to have effective prophetic ministry in your life regularly. Yeah. Like, especially if you're not used to that. If you've never had that in your life, let me tell you, it is, it is game-changing, right, to have a community that it really prophesies over you and, it, and, it, and they're good at it. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It, same thing if you have worship leaders in your community that are really anointed. It's like yeah. another, it's like so much easier to break into the presence of God, right? If you have a pastor who's got real conviction that's speaking out of real conviction in their life, right, it, it releases such a grace on you, right, to love and seek the Lord and be convicted by his word. There's, like, a faithful community is, like, it's the cheat code to life, okay? Wow. It's, like, so you amazing. You sound like a gamer, bro. Do you play games? <laughs> I, you I am a gamer, yeah. <laughs> hey, to be honest, though, I always use cheat codes any game I play. <laughs> Every game I play, I'm always on Google trying to find cheat codes. <laughs> so give us more cheat codes, please. <laughs> Yeah, come on. This is the this is the ultimate cheat code, bro. Yes. Yes. Prayer. Prayer. Corporate prayer. <laughs> wow. Well, just so that people people who missed it, can you give us some of those um prayer ministries again that you were talking about? IHOP. Uh yeah. IHOP phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. YWAM is more of a missions organization, but yeah, their fire and fragrance, you know, division of Y of YWAM, they adopted House of Prayer you know, culture and DNA, which is why they're, they're, yeah. they're pre- I hear they're pretty amazing. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, contend with, you know, David Kim, who's been on the podcast a couple of times. They've got a school, uh, uh, I have, it's Safa. I can't remember 
set yeah. apart for awakening. That's it. Okay. It's like, it. a, it's like a six month internship or something like that. Right. And those are just a handful. The rest, there's, there's lots of these yeah. kinds of programs out there. Right. But, and, but also I, I feel that God has put in your heart to start kind of a prayer training with the righteous remnant. Uh, yes. That's absolutely. something that you, you want to start. Can you, can you share a little bit about that? I know that we have just a few minutes left, but yeah, well, yeah, yeah. you know, this is all, all of our tentative planning right now yeah. is we're trying to figure out how to support um, starting right now, leaders, right, when it comes to prayer. Mm-hmm. So I'm putting together um, a mentorship specifically for prayer leaders, yeah. okay? And, um, you know, we're just doing what we can with that. Um, it's it's a little bit different because all those prayer leaders are going to have some aspect of a prayer group that functions as their community. Now, we do have, like, a Thursday night prayer meeting that we are taking um, applications for. Like, if you want to come to our Thursday night prayer meeting and be part of this prayer community, um, yeah. we do have some limited spots for that. But yeah, it's a, it's a little bit different than like an open program that anybody can come and be part of. But yeah, hopefully long-term, look, my heart, Paul, is I want to see thriving prayer groups all over America. Thriving prayer groups. And look, they can be part of churches, not part of churches. I, I, I don't think that it, it can work in both ways. But look, when you have a culture of prayer and worship that's anointed and that has like real training, understanding of, of national revival and things like this, man, it is, it's, it's so helpful to get caught up in the momentum of the Spirit, to feel like God is leading and guiding, mm. like I'm part of a bigger story, right? I'm being caught up in the story that God is writing. And that's what, I think that's what all Christians are longing for right now, right? We've so preached this, you know, personal walk with Jesus. It's, it's all about our personal walk with Jesus, which has a degree of truth. But the reality is, no, we're caught up in a larger story that's being written. We're in the greatest story that's ever been written, but it's about Jesus. The story is about him. So if we don't know what he's doing or what he's up to, we can be living our lives. We're like the dudes in the Gospels who saw Jesus passing by. They don't realize they're living in the most amazing, important time of history, but it's like a sideshow, right, in their life, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, yeah, did you hear about that Jesus guy? Oh, yeah. He, he's, he, mm-hmm. People think he might be the Messiah. And you never investigate it, right? You never become part of the story, wow. right? And so many wow. believers are living like that right now. They don't yeah. know what God's doing in the nation. They don't mm-hmm. know what all the, all the things that the Spirit is doing. They're living a life like totally separate where they're just trying to have a nice personal walk with Jesus. And or I the can, other excuse, they'll just live vicariously through other people. Sure, yeah. Right? Well, I'll just wait for what that prophetic person says or, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not enough just to be friends with people who are like that. You have to participate. Oh, yeah. Come on. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's This is our calling, man. Yeah. This is the purpose of our lives. And it is hard. I just want to say that because it's not easy. Like, I had this experience. I won't go into the whole thing. Where God told me, Dennis, you're living in the middle of the greatest war that's ever been fought. But because mm. you can't see it and you don't understand it, you can't engage in it. Right? I had a vision. And the Lord spoke to me and told me that. And I realize, yeah, my heart has been longing to live in this and to fight in this great war, this great battle, but I don't know where it is. And I don't know how to engage in it. And, I, and I, I, that's why I feel so much compassion for so many believers because this generation, they're longing to know their purpose and yeah. they're looking for it, but it's spiritual in nature, right? It's not easy to discern or to see or to understand. And so I feel for lots of believers. I say, man... If you could, if you could see, if you could 
trust the Lord and follow him, he will lead you to understand the nature of this spiritual war and to engage in it so that you can live in the purpose for which he's calling you in your life. Wow. Well said, brother. Amen. You know, um, I can't wait to end this podcast and just weep (laughs) (laughs) and just pray because I, you know, I, I got convicted in our talk right now, man. I feel like I've missed the mark in so many ways, but conviction is good. Come on, man. Conviction is good. It draws you closer to Christ. Oh, yeah. So thank you, Dennis. Thank you for sharing your heart. And, and it totally, uh, you know, to be honest, I thought my talks with you, you'll give us the practicals on how to go ahead and defend against indoctrination of, of you know, Marxist thought and all that. But I felt this was spirit-led, man. <laughs> you know, yeah, man. Uh, come on. It's, it's about the age to come and just uh, what matters most is getting on your knees praying. So thank you so much. Yeah. I, appreciate, I appreciate this talk, brother. Thank you, bro. Appreciate you yeah. too, man. Yeah. Well, I look forward to next time. Sounds good.